Is it really true? Is it really true that we get to go to heaven and and spend eternity with God? The song we're just singing, Oh, Victory in Jesus, Some Sweet Day, I'll sing up there that song of victory. Is that is that really true? And are we going to really get to do it for eternity? How do you describe eternity? Well, it's it's more than our lifetime. It's it's more it's more than eighty years. It's it's more than ninety one hundred. You know, in in Noah's time, in Methuselah's time, they're living over six hundred years old. It's more than that. It's more than a thousand years. It's more than it's, it's more than 10,000 years. It just keeps going and going and going. Are you telling me that we're going to be with God uh, forever and ever and ever? Is that, the, is that really the promise uh, from Almighty God for us in regard to heaven? Uh, if it is, how can we possibly not uh, be excited about being together? How can we not just be excited about uh, our journey here on earth because this journey leads us to heaven. It's just uh, an amazing thought to think about eternity in itself. It's amazing to think about the eternal God. As far back as you can possibly let your mind go, there's God. As far as you can go with your imagination and your thought toward the future, uh, there is God and we get to go and be with Him at His throne. Really? Uh, us measly, uh, pitiful, sinful human beings, we have that sort of blessing of waiting on us. Uh, if that is really true and the Bible holds that to be true, then what a God, what an almighty God uh, we serve. Can it be, can it really be that that is out there in front of us? And, and I declare to you that it is. The Bible will show that uh, even in our lesson this evening we'll get to see it. What about that song, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem? Beautiful Star. They needed that light to find the Savior in those early days. We need the light of the gospel. Second Corinthians 4 verse 4. The light of the gospel has dawned upon us and we're so thankful that it has. We need that light to guide us to the Lord today. But look here. In heaven, Revelation 21, 23. In heaven, you won't need a light. Because the glory of God Himself and the Lamb is going to be the lamp. You won't need a light. There won't be any darkness. There won't be any night. One eternal day. Can you possibly imagine an eternity of one eternal bright day in the glory of God forever and ever right there at His very throne? It's amazing to think the promise that God has laid out before us. And how can we not be excited? How can we not be passionate about living for our Lord? Well, my intention tonight is, uh, the title is, No Screams in Heaven. No Screams. I'm talking about scream. When you scream, and you, what, when do you scream? you scream when you see a snake? Do you scream when you see a shadow at night? There'll be no screams in heaven. I'll tell you where I started. I started with the simple ideal, things you will not hear in heaven. Because that's, that's important. We, we look forward to hearing certain things in this life now. We do not want to hear certain things in this life now. 
on the side of things we want to hear, we could, we could fill the room. Uh, coffee is made. That's something you want to hear every day if you can. Uh, school is out. That's something you want to hear. Uh, she did say she would marry me. That's something that, that you want to hear. Well, on the, other side, on the other side, you don't want to hear in this life. You don't want the doctor to come out of his little room and say, well, I've got some good news and bad news. The good news is you're alive right now. And then he just stops. Well, that might not. Uh, Hezekiah, you remember, received uh, some news that his life uh, was going to be shortened. Well, there's some news we don't want to hear. But think about what are some things we will not hear in heaven? In order to understand that, we have to go to the depths of hell and understand that there will be no screams of terror. There will be no screams of anguish. There will be no screams of torture in heaven. But there will be in hell. So we're going to start on the dark side of this study tonight. And then end on the light side, the glorious side. So read with me. Do you have your Bible? You know, the entrance of God's Word brings light. Okay, Psalm 119 around verse 173. If it's not 173, you've got enough sense to find it. But Psalm 119 says the entrance of God's Word brings light into our heart and to our souls. So let's look in the Bible. Let me give you this this defense of talking about the dark side of the universe, the dark side of, of reality, and that is hell. Uh, here's my defense for this. First of all, the Bible clearly teaches there is such a place as hell. Secondly, God has went to great lengths. God has given the ultimate price to keep all of us out of hell. Moreover, God has preserved for us the gospel plan of salvation, the light of the scriptures, in order to keep us away from the devil and his, and his angels. Okay. And so, one might be disgusted at the, po- at the possibility of hell, but at the same time, we know the heart of God. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4 Paul says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he's provided his son. He's provided the truth for us. And so God intensely wants us to be with him in heaven. But there is the Bible. And we are commanded by God, Acts 20, 26 and 27, to declare the whole counsel of God. And part of that counsel is the darkness of hell. Also, the darkness of hell is part of the nature of God. Romans 11, 21 and 22 speaks of the goodness of God on the one hand and the severity of God on uh, the other. And so when you, look at, when you look at the Bible, when you look at the cross, when you look at the gospel, when you look at the truth, when you look at the heart of God, when you look at the nature of God, we must at times delve into this dark side of reality known as hell. So you have your Bibles. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. No screams in heaven. 
but that implies there will be screams in the other place. So Jesus had just healed the centurion uh, servant, the centurion servant, and um, the centurion said to Jesus, you just say the word, Lord, and I know my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel, uh, Matthew 8. And then Jesus added to that Matthew 8, 11, and 12, where he says that um, there's coming a day when um, many from the east and west shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac in the kingdom of heaven. But uh, the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Now let's follow that out a little bit. The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13 in your Bibles. And look at Jesus explaining the parable of the weeds. How an enemy came and sowed weeds in amongst the the wheat that had been planted. What's going to happen? Well, Matthew 13, 30. The owner will say, gather the weeds first and then bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my, to my barn. So Jesus applies that uh, to judgment day. If you look, glance on them, uh, verse 40, Matthew 13, beginning in verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the day, at the end of the time. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all who cause others to sin and all the lawbreakers, and they will throw them into a fiery furnace. And in that place there will be the, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And then notice in that same chapter, Jesus explaining the parable of the net. This is about a man who casts a net and gets in a lot of fish, and then when he gets it all in, they go through the fish, they keep the good fish, and then they throw away uh, the bad fish. So Jesus uses this. Matthew uh, thirteen forty nine. So it will be at the end of uh, the age, end of time. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Matthew 13 and uh, verse number 50. Jump on over to Matthew 22. And notice Jesus explaining the parable of the wedding feast. There was a man eventually come into the wedding, but didn't have on a proper wedding garment. Okay, you see that? You notice that in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 11. And so this uh, angered the king, and the king had him uh, cast out. Okay, um, that applies to us because uh, we are to be clothed with humility. First Peter 5, 5 through 7. And when we are baptized into Christ, we do put on Christ, and we are to put on all the qualities. Uh, in our heart and soul that Christ would have us to put on. We must be properly clothed or else uh, something bad is going to happen. So notice in Matthew twenty-two thirteen, the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen. Then look at Matthew 25 and Jesus explaining the parable of the talents and that one talent man what happens to the one-talent man? Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 28. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Okay. And then verse 30. And cast the worth, worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there should be the weeping and the gnashing 
of teeth. And we can go on and on. But it seems that Jesus is explaining that hell will be a place of outer darkness. A place of weeping. Okay, and the gnashing of teeth. Now, what I want to show is that this weeping is not just sad sorrow. But it would have to be the type of weeping that we would call wailing. The type of weeping that we would call screaming along with crying uh, in a maniacal way, in a torturous way, in a very anguished uh, way. Okay. And so I want to back that up. Okay. So how, how do we do that? All right. There are a few factors involved. The first factor is the pain factor. The pain factor. Every time Jesus mentioned weeping in these phrases, he said the gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth. The grinding of teeth. When my father-in-law was living and, and spending time with him, he loved the old Western movies. He loved them. John Wayne, all of those guys. And oftentimes some of those guys in the movies would take a bullet. And of course they would quickly do this uh, pocket knife uh, surgery on him. They would... And they would put, um, they would, they would give them something to bite on, a stick or something, or a piece of cloth, as they removed uh, that bullet. And um, that just relates to the idea of pain. When there is intense pain, then there is the natural um, tendency to grit your teeth. And Jesus is using this phrase, not that we'll have literal teeth in a literal heaven but rather just to show us there's going to be intense pain the idea of fire brings that out Matthew 25 41 uh, Jesus will say to those on his left hand depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire which is prepared for the devil and his angels so hell will be eternal it will have some very evil association the devil and his angels and it will have some painful uh, some painful sensation very painful Revelation 21 verse 8 mentions that lake of fire, the lake of fire, brimstone. Okay, this is the second death. So in addition to the weeping, there's the, there's the pain factor. Another factor is the eternal factor, eternal factor. Look in your Bibles to Mark 9 and verse 48. Mark chapter 9 and verse 48. You're already there. Looking down, Jesus, this is one of his times where he says it would be better uh, if your eye offends you. It would be better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye. So if your eye offends you, cast it out. Get rid of it. It would be better to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes to be cast into hell. And then notice how he describes this. Mark 9, 48. uh, Where the, the worm does not die and the fire... Uh, is not quenched. See that eternal aspect to that? Worm here, the ideal uh, that there are some worms that just prey on dead bodies, like you read about in Acts 12 and, and 24 when, when Herod got so prideful and, and got to believing all the good things that people were saying about him, so God struck him down and his body was eaten with worms. Well, that's the idea that in hell there'll be eternal anguish, a painful, a gnawing a gnawing anguish okay, that will continue to go on and on. 
Okay. Uh, where the worm dies not and the fire is never uh, quenched. When we first started going to Bible camp at Fall Creek Falls, you become adjusted to several things, uh, especially if you're raised in the city. One of those things you get adjusted to is just rats. You know, it don't bother me now very much, but uh, but you know. So I was laying uh, one of the first nights. I was I was laying in in the cabin on the bottom bunk, and there was nobody on the top bunk. And so uh, on the first night, I heard this uh, rat. He's crawling on the rafters, and um, and then he jumps from the rafter to the top bunk, right above me. And he has picked up some kind of little something that he's chewing on, and he just gnaws on that and gnaws on that. And I just lay there way into the night until he gets finished with his snack, and then he finally I hear him crawl off. Okay. I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily claiming I went to sleep after that, but at least the, the rat was gone. But he just gnawed on it and gnawed on it. And I thought, even back then about this verse, how that, that gnawing pain will continue in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. And so there is the, the eternal factor. That, so the weeping is, is in addition or is underpinned uh, by pain factor and by the eternal factor, but also from the backdrop of hell itself. You know, the, the most dominant word for hell in the New Testament is this word Gehenna. Okay. It, kind of, it has an Old Testament backdrop. Okay. And so let's just mention this real, real fast. Second Chronicles 28, verse 3, Second Chronicles uh, 33 and verse 6. Of all things, God's people, the children of Israel, got involved in some idolatry. They started worshiping the God of Molech. And the popular thing to do in sacrifice to the God of Molech was to take your own sons, your own children, and throw them into a fire as a sacrifice to the God of Molech. Can you believe? Can you believe to the extent of the evil that people will go to? It's just amazing how evil gets a hold of you and just never lets you go. And if you don't do something about it, it'll take you to depths that you never thought were possible. And so there they go. And that was called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. Hinnom. And the uh, word Gehenna comes from that. Can you imagine the screams that would accompany throwing a child into a burning uh, fire. Can you imagine a husband being caught up in the worship of the God of Molech, taking the child away from his wife and headed to that dump, that valley, to do that uh, dreadful task? You can imagine the screams involved. And so the word hell uh, in our New Testament derives from that scene, those scenes. Now, in 2 Kings uh, 23, verse 10, good King Josiah comes along, and he does help put a stop to that for a while, but after he's gone, they start it back up again. Jeremiah, uh, chapter 7, 31 and 32, Jeremiah brings it up again. This is explaining to God's people, this is why you're going into captivity, because this thing that God never thought of in his mind whatsoever, you have done. And he mentions again the valley of the sun of Hinnom. And God was going to make them pay for that idolatry. And so because of the backdrop of that word, then 
we know there's going to be more than just sorrowful crying in hell. There's going to be more like screaming and wailing. And then another factor is that the, the punishment involves both body and soul. Matthew 10, 28. Fear not him that can kill, fear not them that can kill the body, but after that they have no, they have no more they can do. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. Now we know on Judgment Day there's going to be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, Acts 24, uh, 15. A resurrection of the just and unjust. Not just of the righteous, but a resurrection of the just and unjust. As Jesus talks about in John 5, 28 and 29 when he said, Marvel not at this, the hour is coming. When all who are in the tomb shall come forth, shall hear my voice and come forth. They that have done good unto a resurrection of life. But those who have done evil, notice this, unto a resurrection of condemnation. Those who have done evil will keep living for eternity. But not just with God. I mean not with God, but rather with the devil and his angels. Okay. Now both the righteous and the evil will receive a body. Now, the, the spiritual body of the righteous will be rewarded in heaven. But the spiritual body and soul of the condemned will experience complete agony uh, in hell. Fear him, Jesus says, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Look at your Bibles in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel uh, projects this very ideal in an amazing prophecy. Daniel chapter 12. Are you there? First few verses. Verse 2 especially. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth. That is those who have died. Notice this. Daniel 12 verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. This is a lot like Jesus from John 5. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life. There you go. But some to everlasting shame and contempt. Now shame means reproach. And contempt means to be repelled by your own self. To abhor your own self. And so... The condition of our spiritual body and soul in hell will look so disgusting that if you could somehow see yourself in a mirror, you would be repelled by it. You would, you would abhor your very existence and you will keep on doing that forever and ever and ever. So along with the weeping is the punishment of both body and soul. Now we remember Jesus telling us about uh, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, uh, 19 through 30-something. Luke 16, 19 through 30-something. And we remember the rich man who paid very little attention to, to Lazarus' needs while he was on earth. Uh, the rich man finds himself in anguish. In fact, he said in Luke 16, 23 and 24... 
he said, uh, Father Abraham, could you possibly take Lazarus, send him, get him, get some water on the tip of his finger, and have him come and, and put it on the tip of my tongue? For I am in, I'm in anguish in this fire. I'm in anguish. Okay. Now, notice the rich man is suffering. And at that point, see, when he died, he went straight to some sort of uh, place of suffering. Immediately after he died. Now immediately after Lazarus died, he went to Abraham's bosom place of comfort and peace. It's where we want to be when we, when we die. But for some, they go straight to some sort of place of pain and anguish. Okay. Now, when we die, Ecclesiastes twelve seven says that our spirit goes back to God and our body came from the earth it will go back to the earth and so what we have here in Luke 16 is the fact that he is suffering and it's just his soul at that time at that point it's just his soul he's in suffering he's suffering he's in anguish and it's just his soul so how much more suffering will there be once that body that spiritual body is brought back and combined with his soul and then all both soul and body suffers for eternity in hell. In other words, if it looks bad in Luke 16, hold on, it's going to get worse for that rich man. And so with the pain factor and the eternity factor and the, the Gehenna factor and the punishment of body and soul factor, you add that to the weeping and you can see that it's going to be... Uh, more like wailing and screaming. And think about the fact that you'll be totally, one would be totally conscious and aware of what's, of what's taking place. There's an interesting verse in Acts 13, 46, where Paul is turning his attention away from the Jews to the Gentiles. And he says to the Jews, uh, he says, Seeing that you have, you have thrust aside the word of God, and you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're now going to the Gentiles. We're going to start preaching more to the Gentiles. But notice what he said to the Jews, Acts 13, 46. He says, you have judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Think about hell from that sense. You will have no one, one, I'm going to say you, one will have no one to blame for his suffering but himself. Because in the end, we are making the decisions that will cause us to be lost eternally. We would have judged ourselves unworthy. In other words, we have made the decision that I don't want eternal life. I don't want uh, pleasure with God. I don't want time with God. I don't want to serve God here or then. And then God will give us exactly what we have asked for. And so that's the case in bringing the ideal in, for, in front of us this evening, how that there'll be no screams in heaven. None of this that we just described will be in heaven. Instead, in heaven, there'll be complete joy. Complete joy. Let's think about that for a minute or two. Complete joy. How do we go about thinking about the complete joy of heaven. Let's start like this. In the parable of the talents, Jesus 
has the master saying to the uh, the five servant and two and the five talent and two talent uh, persons that since they had done much with their talent, he has them Matthew twenty five twenty one. He has the master saying to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now those are words that we want to hear. Well done. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Add to that, what Paul says in Philippians 1, 21 to 23, he says, um, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm in a fix between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Notice how Paul describes being with Christ after this life as something very far better now hold on. Hold your horse for a second. Add that to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 8, where Peter says that, that if we endure and grow spiritually through our various fiery trials, then we will learn to rejoice and to have joy unspeakable. Now Peter is talking about having joy unspeakable right here and now. As we grow through our fiery trials... But now Paul says, also an apostle like Peter, Paul by inspiration says, we can have that joy that Peter speaks of right now, but now when we leave this place, it will be very far better. So the place where we're going in heaven will be better than joy unspeakable, unspeakable that Peter speaks of in 1 Peter chapter 1. Just complete joy. What are some underlying factors that supports this joy as we bring our lesson to a close? What, what are some underlying factors? Of course, first and foremost is the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and uh, verse 7 and 8. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We were singing that song this morning. Anywhere with Jesus. What will it be? Home sweet home. Isn't that what it said? Anywhere with Jesus is home sweet home. If the Lord is there, I'm good. I'm good. Now I love the other descriptions of heaven. But if the Lord is there, then isn't that where we need to be? I mean, there is joy in the presence of the Lord. So it's the presence of the Lord. But then... On top of that, there is the fellowship of the redeemed. And there are many Bible people that we want to say hello to in person. And we just want to enjoy their fellowship. Can you imagine sitting down with Peter? Can you imagine sitting down with Paul? Can you imagine sitting down with James? Can you imagine sitting down with Barnabas? Can you imagine sitting down with those who were in fellowship with Jesus? Can you imagine talking to Abraham and Sarah? The fellowship of the redeemed. And then, think about this that adds to our joy. There would be the continuous worship that takes place in heaven. 
We don't have time tonight, but you know if you go to Revelation 7, 9 through 12, you go to Revelation 14, 1 through 3, Revelation 15, 1 through uh, 4, there's a sound, a thunderous sound going on in heaven. And it's a sound from folks uh, singing praise to God. They're singing the song of Moses and the Lamb forever and ever. They're singing about how salvation belongs to our Lord and singing about that and serving the Lord uh, forever and ever. That adds to the joy that will be there. The fact that heaven will be the most beautiful scenery you ever could ima- ever possibly imagine adds to the joy that will be there. The fact that there will be no sin there, no, no crying, no sorrow, no pain, no sin, no Satan there will be absolutely uh, a place of um, unreal um, happiness. But here's the thing. Let's go back just for a second about that spiritual body. Romans 8.23 says, Those who are righteous will receive a redemption of the body. There are two redemptions. There's a redemption of our soul. Ephesians 1 verse 7. With that redemption of that soul coming through the blood of Jesus and we submit to Him, we receive forgiveness of our sins and we're on the pathway of salvation leading us to eternal salvation with the Lord. But as the Lord works out heaven for us, he says there's a redemption of the body coming. And this old body that we've had on earth will be replaced with a body much like Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.21 This lowly body will be made like the body of our Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44 calls it a spiritual body and a glorious body, an honorable body. 1 John 3, John says, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we do know this, that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, and we shall be able to see Him even as He is. Right now, we cannot see Jesus even as He is. But on that day, on that judgment day, when our bodies come forth from that grave or wherever we may be at that time, those bodies will undergo undergo a powerful change from this present body, this lowly body, unto a spiritual glorious body like our Lord. And that glorious body will connect with our soul and then that is what will go to heaven you see, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit that eternal kingdom of God. But God has a plan to where we don't need flesh and blood. He's got this other body in mind. And so add that to the joy. The presence of God, the fellowship of the redeemed, the continuous worship, the glorious, beautiful place, the scenery that is there, the environment that is there, and then also look forward to the fact that we lay this body aside and we have a glorious body like our Lord. And that will enable us to see Him even as He is, which then will bring forth from us a joy and a worship unlike we could ever imagine. And so the dark side of hell versus the bright side of heaven. 
And that is split right in two as a choice for us. The narrow way leads to the brightness of heaven. The broad way leads to the darkness of hell. We have that choice. But look here. This choice before us and the choice before the world ought to ignite within us a fire that never goes out, a fire within our soul to share the good news. Because only Jesus, only Jesus, only the way of God, only the way of Scripture can guide us to that eternal home. And so this evening we bring our lesson to a close. So much more we could say, but it is a glorious thought. It's a a sober thought, but then it ends with a glorious thought. And so much hope is there. If we can assist someone this evening with obeying the gospel or even... Uh, someone to just uh, who wants to rededicate uh, their zeal, uh, bring the zeal of the Lord back into their lives, and we'd be glad to study about that, pray about that. That's why we're here as the family of God. If you have a special need, please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing.